Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Kenya's biggest conversation that's broadcast live every weekday morning from 6 to 10 a.m. on Spice FM. Hit subscribe for more thought-provoking conversations with your hosts Eric Latif, Ndu Oko and C.T. Muga and who's who of an eclectic mix of guests from the world of politics, policy, business and culture. This is a Situation Room podcast. Enjoy. Conversation continues with uh, Jane Murray of the UK High Commissioner to Kenya. Four years in the country, and you're looking back into everything that happened. We were just talking about, you know, the conversation around the election and even after the election, and of course that direct um, mention of yourself by some political players that you know you are involved in even manipulating the election or. Uh, uh, interfering with the Electoral Commission. I wish we still had those powers, but we don't, and it's right that we don't. Uh, nope, there was absolutely no interference whatsoever. And actually, you know, I was talking to um, all the all the main players throughout. There wasn't a point when we weren't in touch, in regular touch, mm. with players from across across the sides. Mm. Is it? Do you think it would help tremendously if, say, foreign missions into the country? took a little more time in explaining what they actually do and how they do it. You, for instance, are in the media fairly often, so it's something I get the impression you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So people have an idea what you do because they, there's visibility. Yeah. There is news about what you do. Yeah. Now, when one talks, this is a two-pronged question that I'm going to ask here. When one talks about aid and assistance, if, say, the Japanese give us aid, mm -hmm. the Japanese were never colonialists here. They yeah. colonized Korea. Yeah. and some other places in the yeah. neck of the woods. Would one be wrong in assuming that some of the assistance is a form of quiet reparation? Uh, there's a feeling that perhaps we didn't do right by these people, so we need to give them a little helping hand, and maybe our relationship with them in an earlier time benefited us, and maybe some of that benefit should go back to them. That's, that's prong one, part one of your question. Yes, that's uh, yes, <laughs> perspective one. Now, uh, perspective two is whenever assistance is given... How much consideration is given to what people feel is needed than what they actually need? Yep. So that's prong two. So I think, you know, look, the UK has a complicated relationship with Kenya and many other countries. I think there is a, a shared history, a lot of it not good on the part of the UK and the, uh, the government has, has recognised that and, and, and the treatment that happened at the hands of, of the UK in the past. But I think there is also a understandable paranoia, but nonetheless a paranoia about things, therefore, that the UK does. Uh, so, you know, actually we were, you know, I was one of the more active ambassadors, but but we moved in a group and the several other ambassadors as well who were, who were also active in supporting the institutions and, and on the election. But I think it's understandable that there is a focus on the UK um, because of the past that we have together. Um, and when it comes to development, yeah, I think in, in, in some ways there is a sense of supporting a country that we have done wrong to in the past mm. um, and trying to get it. And what I'm trying to get it on, um, and I hope I've done gone some way in my four years here, of getting it onto a next phase in our relationship. So mm. we have done wrong 
Um, we have supported with development aid. Kenya is a thriving country, and actually, also at the Mo Ibrahim um, event this weekend, there was uh, there were a couple of speakers who were saying, you know, look, we can't blame everything that's gone wrong in our country on the on the fact that we were colonised. We have to take responsibility for ourselves as well. Mm. Uh, an African can say that. I can I can quote an African saying that. I can't say that myself. Why not? Um, because I think it comes across as patronising. Indeed and, it does. And, and it abrogates responsibility for what we did do, if I say it. Actually, so I don't think I can say it, but I can quote... In, um, you can say, C.T. Muga said this. Exactly. And I agree with him. Well, exactly. C.T. Muga <laughs> something else. The, um, you get to the heart of the matter, because whenever there's a history such as the one you allude to, there's discomfort in discussing certain aspects of that relationship. Mm. And so long as there's that discomfort, then the truth sometimes may suffer yeah. at that altar. Well, when truth suffers, then the loss is far greater than we realize. This is what I mean. Mm. There is absolutely nothing wrong in a country providing assistance and benefit from it as well. Yeah. Because human nature being what it is, we tend to be, we tend to gravitate towards things that give us some benefit. Yeah. It may not be material, but it offers us something that we consider, it could be psychological, but it's something that we consider useful. Yep. Okay. And the more one does is often motivated by that factor that someone can see and understand. Yep. Okay. Even if it's going to give you a good image, whatever it is. Now, the beneficiaries, the problem is not in them receiving the benefit, but in one, them considering it is as their right and then being dependent on it. Yes. Now. So the conversation of help is not an honest conversation if the dependency factor isn't brought into the discussion. Because sometimes one gets the impression that aid is given specifically with that as an unspoken matter in mind. So that one doesn't quite let go of yes. So I completely see where you're coming from. And I think mm. one of the things that we've got better at doing with development projects over the years um, is doing them with people, whether mm. that's the national government, the county government. Um, there's an awful lot of community consultation on the ground. Um, and I think now we're, we're pretty good at doing this. What we're less good at doing, um, and I think this is one of the benefits of, of merging the, the aid agency and the foreign office together, is that we don't always really understand if we're being... Um, played by different interests <laughs> on the ground mm. um, and so sometimes you can do what you think is the right thing you've done the community <laughs> consultation um, but but there are interests out there that maybe one hasn't understood properly and therefore you end up doing the right thing by some people and the wrong thing mm -hmm. by others absolutely okay I, mean, I want to go back to batik for a minute yeah uh, these are conversations that are being had today yeah it still weaves in with what we're talking about that if we're going to use the language it's going to come from inherent belief yes so Kenya and the UK are discussing the future of the training of British troops in Kenya. Yep. We can't run away from this Agnes Wanjiro story that hangs yep. in the air. The Daily Mail a year ago, the headline is, a British soldier accused of fatally stabbing a Kenyan prostitute. Hairdresser. Prostitute is the word they used. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Now she was a hairdresser. Yeah, and, you know, so you can imagine yep. a media outlet like that that's read all over the world yep. is giving an at is giving a sense of what is truly believed yep. about a situation yep. that is heavy when it comes to the future of British troops in the country. Yeah, and so the question is, if these two countries go into this agreement, what is the safety net that is being put in place for Kenyan civilians? Yeah 
for children, for the environment. Yeah. What is the overarching attitude, yeah. UK to Kenya, when a murder case like this yet to be solved, there doesn't seem to be really any desire to get it yeah. sorted. Yeah. How do all these things marry? And we're still saying go ahead and have the relationship and everything is going to be fine. So I think the the DCA, the Defence Cooperation Agreement, actually regulates a lot of this stuff. Mm. Uh, but what I think has been misunderstood uh, is that Kenyan police have primacy in in murder cases that are, you know, when, when the soldiers are off duty. So when Agnes Wanjiru Wanjiku was brutally murdered in 2012 and... You know, the evidence points in one way, but there needs to be a trial, there needs to be a prosecution, um, justice needs to, to be served. And, you know, I've, I've fought very hard, mainly behind the scenes, to try and get uh, some justice for, for, for Agnes. You know, and her family deserved to know the truth. Her daughter deserves to know the truth uh, about what happened. But back in 2012, it was a Kenyan prosecution lead. And even under the Defence Cooperation Agreement, it's a Kenyan prosecution lead. So we have been working hard to help the Kenyans with their um, investigations into this. Um, it is all legal cases take much, much longer than anyone has ever wanted. But actually, I think it was when the Sunday Times broke, uh, rebroke the story mm -hmm. um, in, in 2021 um, that both the UK and Kenya put more of a focus on trying to find out what happened and trying to get this to trial. So um, it's one of the things I will still very much be keeping an eye on even when I'm no longer based in Kenya. Mm. Um, there are steps going on behind the scenes to question the witnesses. As with all these things, it's never straightforward mm. uh, in, in terms of you know jurisdictions and questioning and things like that and, 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 and legal matters. Um, but I'm convinced that we will get there one day and I passionately want to get there because there is a 21-year-old hairdresser who was murdered um, in Lycopia in 2012 and no one knows exactly who did it um, and no one has paid for that and somebody needs to pay for that. Whenever we have such discussions I get the feeling and such discussions mean talking to an ambassador such as yourself that you understand the circumstances under which you work and you understand the things you need to do. When you communicate with your headquarters, Whitehall, is it? Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges you have in getting them to understand what it is that you understand? Oh, bandwidth is a big one. <laughs> bandwidth. Um, but I have to say, you know, in, in, in Whitehall, and, and it is some of those um, colonial connections, it is some of the... Um, the history that we have together, there is an affinity and a fondness for Kenya um, in our House of Commons, in our House of Lords, in our government, that is actually very, very rare. Mm. So I have taken shameless advantage of that <laughs> uh, while I've been ambassador uh, to, to encourage, and I'm hoping we'll have uh, some more high-profile visits after I've gone that I've been working on. Um, uh, and, and playing into sort of President Ruto's thing of, no, no, you guys come here as well as us going to you. It has to be both ways. Uh, and I think we've kept up that steady drumbeat of senior UK visitors to Kenya. So I've probably had more opportunities than many to be able to take a senior official or a minister to one side and say, hey, this is what's really happening and this is how we're, you know, we're really seeing things on the ground. Um, uh, David Lammy, who's the Shadow Foreign Secretary, so Labour's um, uh, Shadow Foreign Secretary, mm. our p political party that's in opposition, mm. was here last week. Um, the UK's got general elections in sometime in the next 18 months or so. Um, if the in government wins, then he'll remain the shadow. If uh, Labour wins, he will 
potentially become the, the foreign secretary. So it was great that he was interested enough to come to Kenya as a shadow foreign secretary. Uh, and we had uh, a couple of days just kind of talking through, you know, what are, what are the issues? What's the relationship? <coughs> what's that bandwidth? So would I like more bandwidth? Would I like more investment money from the UK to Kenya? Absolutely. Mm. But actually, I think we do disproportionately well. And my colleagues are always really annoyed with me, uh, which I have to be careful for. So back in um, uh, the Africa Investment Summit in uh, in 2020, uh, Prime Minister, then Prime Minister Johnson gave a speech. And I think he referenced Kenya five times in his speech. No other country on this continent got more than, I think, one, maybe two references. So all of my my fellow ambassadors and high commissioners are like, that's not fair. Why does Kenya get so much attention? And I'm like, that's because Kenya's great. And yes, I am biased. <laughs> because you're there. There are very several positive things that have taken place uh, in the last four years while you're here. We'll conclude with those. For example, we'll talk about the talk between our president and Rishi Sunak on climate. Yep. Uh, they talk about the railway city and what's going to happen with the development of the railway city. The economic partnership agreement that's been signed. The defense cooperation agreement. Yep. Kenyans going to work in the UK. I want to go about 60 years back. Yep. Okay. And the issue of the colonial legacy yep. of the country. Of course, your country, because of where it played yep. uh, for many years um, as a colonial master, has faced this question before. How much responsibility does the UK government take for its actions in the colonial days? Yep. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, does it mean demanding an apology? Does it mean coming with reparation? Does it mean coming with compensation? Now, our speech was given by the then um, Foreign Secretary William Hague in your parliament in 2013 with regards to Kenya. And that was when the case of the Mau Mau yep. uh, people had gone there. And he said, the British government recognizes that Kenyans were subject to torture and other forms of ill treatment at the hands of the colonial administration. The British government sincerely regrets that these abuses took place and that they marked Kenya's progress towards independence. Torture and ill treatment are abhorrent violations of human dignity, which we unreservedly condemn. Mm. So that's the government acknowledging, the government expressing regret. I don't know whether that amounts to an apology or not i'll ask you that question he went on to talk about the kind of uh, <coughs> agreement that had been reached with regards to a court case that had been filed in the uk however he ended up by saying we continue to deny liability on behalf of the government and british taxpayers today for the actions of the colonial administration in respect of the claims and indeed the courts have made no finding of liability against the government in this case mm. We do not believe that claims relating to events that occurred overseas outside direct British jurisdiction more than 50 years ago can be resolved satisfactorily through the courts without the testimony of key witnesses that is no longer available. It's therefore right that the government has defended this case to this point since 2009. Yeah. What does that mean? So there's a sort of real politic that goes off um, on this. If, I think pretty much every prime minister has had a submission, so a sort of written note and advice from officials across their desk that goes, you know, look, when we had an empire, we did horrible things um, and we should admit liability uh, and, uh, and compensation. And then you kind of get into the maths and you realise that if you open the door for one part of compensation, <laughs> which in and of itself is entirely justifiable, then you open the door to uh, trillions of uh, pounds, dollars, never mind shillings worth of, of liability. Um, so I think the, the more pragmatic and 
realpolitik approach that the UK has done is to find a formula that admits responsibility but doesn't leave open-ended compensation but that in specific cases where we can um, some sort of um, settlements are, are, are made so in that case was the outer court settlement of about three billion shillings 19.9 million dollars uh, pounds sorry to um, uh, to compensate the 5,228 Kenyans um, who had put in claims as part of that mouse settlement. Now I understand it's come to light subsequently that not everybody put claims in yep. um, but that claim process was a Kenyan run process over which the UK had no control so to my mind we have you know, opened up that opportunity for a settlement we have given that compensation but it is it was a Kenyan-led process around the settlement and the funding and the disbursement of those funds but there's been a push globally for the UK government to apologize yeah. to the people of the countries and that hasn't been forthcoming. For example, in this particular one, there's an acknowledgement of what happened. There's regret being expressed, yeah. but no apology. So an apology or the words I'm sorry have got legal connotations um, that leave one open to unlimited compensation claims. Um, and that's why, and I don't think anyone likes it, actually. Uh, I have a, a strong feeling that certainly I would like to use the words apologise and sorry. Um, and I think uh, our ministers, I can't put words into their mouths, but I think on a human basis, they would like to do that as well. But because of the legal liabilities, we sort of dance around it with this formula about expressing regret, which, which doesn't feel enough, right? It really mm. doesn't feel enough. You know, I regret that bad thing happened to you. It's very different from, I'm, I'm really sorry. sorry that I caused that bad thing to happen to you. Mm. Uh, the Germans had that dance as well with Namibia. Yeah. And they put a certain euro figure yeah. to it. Yeah. 1.1 billion. Yeah. Now, what we read and what is discussed and what is agreed upon, yeah. the Germans said they'd pay this over 30 years in development and what have you. Yeah. But are these discussions ever complete if the people who actually felt were wronged are not part of that discussion? Yeah. Because, yes, people talk money because it's assumed that's what you'd get. Yeah. But are there other things that could be done that one would willingly receive, but that you can only know if they are spoken to? Yes, those who are harmed by the activities of the colonial government, then many of them have died, if not all of them. But they do have children, and they do have grandchildren, and they do have family members who still remember. So it's not a discussion that cannot be had. It can be had. Yeah. And I'd like to see more of that. And actually, when I arrived, um, I sort of approached figures in the government and said, you know, look, I'd like to have a conversation about this because I, as a human being, uh, as well as then Her Majesty's representative, um, I think there are discussions that we need to have. I don't feel as though the conversation um, is finished. Um, so if I feel that, then the people who have been directly affected are not going to feel that. Uh, and interestingly, I was warned by a, a senior government figure who said, Jane, what are you trying to get out of this? Mm -hmm. He said to me. And I said, what do you mean? What am I trying to get out of this? He said, well, what do you want? And I said, well, I suppose I want to write some historical injustices. And he was like, just don't go there, Jane. Do not open this can of worms. And whatever you do, don't talk about land because Kenyan on Kenyan land issues is actually an even bigger issue than colonial Kenyan issues when it comes to land. He said, don't open that can of worms. We won't forgive you if you if you do that. Um, but I have, so, so with my team, we've attempted to develop um, 
a matrix because we do love our documents as bureaucrats mm. um, that are looking at, at the issues of the colonial legacy. Now, we've not got as far as I wanted to because we had uh, sort of COVID first hitting and then, of course, the elections, which has taken up so much bandwidth, including um, sort of time of, our, of, of my staff. Um, but I, I hope to hand over to my successor a good set of recommendations on probably avoiding the land issue because no no good comes in Kenya of discussing uh, uh, land issues. It gets very complicated. But are there other things we can do, um, particularly around artefacts, for example? Are there things we can do in terms of um, dialogues and conversations? Um, and one of the things that I had hoped to do, uh, but I'm leaving post a couple of months earlier to take up a new uh, ambassadorship, um, that I, I wanted to be able to sit down with some of these families, but we just not had time to do the preparation work that I that we would need to do to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. But I think there's more that we can we can do. Do you really honestly think that we are actually helping ourselves move forward by avoiding discussing the land issue in this country? You see, discussing is just discussing. Yeah. If there's a problem, it exists. Now, does not discussing it make it go away or does it just help it linger somewhere? in a dark corner waiting to jump on someone at some point so and, I, in a, and in a form that you cannot then manage or control. So I can't reveal my sources in government who said that, but that's no, a conversation you should definitely have with them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the reason why I ask the question is, back to what I said earlier on about the truth and how we sacrifice the truth yeah. at a great cost. Yeah. Yes, the truth in its bare sense may be a bit bothersome to deal with, but it doesn't mean that ways can't be found around it so that the issue itself can actually be discussed. Yeah. The UK has issues with Scotland, yep. Ireland, yep. land issue, sovereignty. Yep. Discussions are always ongoing. Yep. There's always talks of referendum and people keep moving. So this isn't something that I would argue the UK is new to. Given how vast Her Majesty's Kingdom was, yeah. So look, I'm I'm open to having those discussions. As I say, it was yes. uh, somebody in the previous government who said, "Don't, please don't do it. It'll be worse for us uh, if, uh, if if that conversation happens." But look, I'm from Yorkshire, which is a part of England that is known for its blunt speaking. Um, so I, I would like to have these conversations. I think these conversations need to be had, uh, and I hope that I've laid enough groundwork. Um, that I, I wish I'd been able to lay the groundwork and have the conversations myself. Um, but between COVID and the elections bandwidth, that's, we've not been able to achieve. That's, that goes back to your earlier question about, you know, what, what are the things that you haven't achieved or, you know, what have you done well and what have you done not done as well as you would like? If I... If, if we hadn't had COVID, if we hadn't had a lot of these other bandwidth issues, mm. I would like to have been able to get our um, work thought through on, on handling some of these issues that then enabled us to go and have conversations with the families and conversations with the people who are still living with this legacy. The delightful individual who's taking over from you, if you were to advise him in the quiet corridors of your residence, what, and you were talking to him about the Kenyan people, what would you tell him? What would you say? What sort of people are we? Oh God, you're just trying to get me into trouble, Charles, aren't you? Because yeah. no matter what I say uh, <laughs> on this one. So, so look, I've, I've just loved being here so much because the Kenyans that I have encountered, and one can't stereotype, you know, we can't say all Kenyans are like this, all British are like this, all Americans are like this. But I would say the Kenyans that I have met have been wonderful, friendly, challenging in a good way, um, encounters as a as a friendly hospitable uh people that i've been you know absolutely delighted to to work with okay mm -hmm. mm. you happy with that 
No, this isn't. Uh, that sounds like it's you. That no, she, no, no, no. She's talking about Siti Muga. She's talking about the people she's met. You know, she only met me today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you seem very charming, uh, but also asking difficult questions. And, and that's where I like to kind of pitch the conversation because I'm a big believer that you can be, uh, you, you can be friends with someone and it's your closest friends who ask you the difficult questions. Mm. It's your closest friend who tells it that you that you look terrible in that dress and it's someone who's trying to please you that tells you you look amazing in it when you don't. So, so one of the things I like about Kenya is the ability to have those challenging conversations but from a, a, a spirit of friendship and shared partnership um, and I think that's really powerful and it's you know of the sort of seven different countries I've worked in uh, and lived in this is the strongest this is this has been the place where I see more opportunities I look at Kenya and you know yes there are you know 4.6 million people who are struggling to have enough to everything to have enough to eat and, yeah. and that needs support and, and help and working with the government on on that but Kenya is a is a vibrant exciting society there is always something happening and you know the the opportunities Kenya has um, to lead itself the continent, the world, are absolutely phenomenal. And I see that with um, the climate change conference, so COP28, that's happening in the UAE in, um, uh, in November. Exactly. The fact that <coughs> President Ruto is getting together African leaders before that in September to kind of go, guys, Global South is not punching at its weight here. This continent is not punching at its weight. We're getting a less than good deal um, and our voice isn't properly being heard and he is organising that voice to be heard properly and I think that's incredibly powerful and more of it please. Thank you very much. Thank you. Jen Marriott, UK High Commissioner to Kenya. Thank you very much for visiting us today and uh, we wish you all the best in your next posting. Thank you very much indeed. How about that? You made it to the end of today's podcast. You clearly ooze stamina. Guess what? Just hit subscribe at Standard Media Podcast, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Our podcasts drop daily. From me and the team, catch you next time. Bye-bye.